go ahead. All right, I want to start this uh, series or this sermon with a question. It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer out loud. But have you ever doubted the intentions of somebody close to you? Have you ever heard somebody say something and you just doubt that it was true? Have you ever heard somebody say something and you just doubt their, their, you know, if they actually mean what they say they mean? Have you ever doubted the truth when somebody tells you that this is the situation that happened and you go, I don't know, I know those people, I know this situation, I'm not comfortable... I don't know, you just kind of doubt it. You don't automatically maybe think they're wrong, but it calls you into a place where you're like, I don't know. Maybe let me ask a question that might get a little bit closer to home. Have you ever doubted God? And all of you that are Christians and been Christians for a long time, you get a little tense, right? As soon as I said that, you're like, oh man, what's he talking about? I mean, we can't doubt God, right? But the truth is, and as we're going to learn, that doubting God is a part of the human experience. In fact, it's part of who we are and and what we do at times. Now, I'm going to give you something that I've experienced up front. And I'm sure that many of you have had doubts in your faith before. But I've had catastrophic doubts before. um, And one of the most existential crises of faith that I had was actually, believe it or not, when I was in Bible college. And in Bible college, I have a, a degree in biblical studies, so the whole thing was about the Bible, you know, cover to cover. And so we would learn, it's specialized in New Testament, but we had to learn some of the Old Testament stuff because the story of the Bible is from, one, from the beginning all the way to the end. If you miss or take a piece out, you don't quite get the whole story, so you have to focus on in Genesis. And I remember at my, my student, I was, this is a conservative Christian college. They said, I remember in my Old Testament class, because again, you have to take all those. In my Old Testament class, the professor said, in our textbook said, we have no archaeological evidence for the Exodus. Everybody take a deep breath. And I remember when that happened to me, and my faith was rocked. Because the next question, and maybe the next question you jump to in your mind also, is hold on a second, then how do we know any of this is true? No, no, and no credible scholar would acknowledge that we do or don't have any archaeological evidence for it. And, and, and it rocked my faith to the place where I was like, God, I don't know if this is what I want to do with my life because if i got to stand up there and tell people lies, I am not comfortable with that. But what's great is I had an amazing professor and I had an amazing class. And they allowed us and gave us the space to ask those questions as students, particularly because we were all, a lot of us were becoming pastors. And we said, how do we balance this? What do we do? How do we handle all of this? And through the process, we learned as we went through more studies that that there's actually tons of that out why we may not have had archaeological evidence. To give you some comfort, and I'm not just going to leave that out there, right? Because some of you are like, I hope he answers that question. (laughs) Because if he doesn't, I'm never coming back to this place ever again. Right? One of the things, one of the theories is that it was just so long ago. It was so long ago that maybe our timeline, the way we interpret the timeline in the beginning of the Bible, maybe it's just not literally a year as we understand a year. Maybe perhaps it could be longer. Or maybe perhaps it's meant to represent a certain, a a different designation of time. So maybe there's no archaeological evidence because it's so long ago. I mean, it's almost over 4,000 years ago in some cases, depending on which timeline you're looking at. It was a long time ago. 
So there's part of that. And then we do have Egyptian records that show that there were people who were slaves that left the area and caused economic issue for the Egyptians. And part of it, a lot of scholars look and go, well, we can't you know, jive that with the biblical understanding of Exodus because when we hear Exodus, we hear millions, right? Millions and billions of people walking away from Egypt. Well, if there were millions and billions of people, then yeah. But there's a chance that maybe our interpretation or understanding of it, maybe it wasn't millions. Maybe it was thousands. Maybe it was around thousands, and that's a much smaller footprint on the history of the world. So through the process of unpacking and understanding with the professor and with the the actual data that we had, we began to understand it didn't break our faith. I had no reason for it to break my faith. It actually built my faith when I was comfortable asking and and interacting with those questions. And, and, And here's the thing. It, it, this, is, this is what freed me the most was when my professor said this to us. He said, your faith should be built on Jesus, not Moses. And I was like, on. That's pretty smart. No wonder you got this job, teach. But he did, he, and it was so freeing. At the end of the day, and this might get some of you uncomfortable, but it's just, and, and, but it's just the nature of it, and this is the way theologians look at it, if the Exodus was or wasn't true, it really doesn't affect the fact that Jesus died on, on the day of crucifixion, rose three days later, and was witnessed by over 500 people, and his apostles all died believing that they had seen him again. So it really doesn't affect your faith. When he put it in that perspective, I was like, wow. And then we looked at the, the evidence that we really nobody's really been able to disprove that Jesus did those things. There's theories, but there's theories a lot. I mean, some of you guys turn on Joe Rogan Experience, you'll hear theories, right? So there's theories, but there's no evidence for it. Their most evidence points to Jesus was who he said he was, and he did all the things he said that he did. So I learned through this ability and our professor giving us the space to ask the questions. Our professor giving us the space to struggle with our doubts actually built our faith incredibly strong. And that's what we're going to do in this series. We're going to establish the rules up front where we can understand that we can question things. Okay, so if you've been in church for a long time, you're going to sit back and go, that ain't me, homie. Hey, if that's not you and you're good, awesome. You should still tune in. Because if you don't already, your kids are going to struggle with it. And if they don't, you're going to be working with somebody who's going to struggle with it. And maybe you're not in it right now, but maybe you'll struggle with your faith at some, time, at some point. So I understand the conflict and I understand the uncomfortableness that might be in the room with people saying, hold on, we can't question, we can't doubt God. But I'm actually going to show you biblical evidence that we can. Before we get there, we've got to talk about a doubt. A doubt is a, simply to call into question the truth of something. And that's, that's, that's really what it is. And doubt is a mark of humanity. Because of our intelligence. God gave us the intelligence that we have. So we doubt things because we're smart enough to weigh information and say, I don't know that's true. I don't know that might not be true. So instead of running from it, we should lean into it and say, no, this is a gift from God for our decision-making process. Okay, so now I I can doubt some things. I can doubt some things that are said. I can doubt some things in my interpretation, my tradition, my understanding. I can question some of these things. And it's just part of who we are. And doubts are a very real part of our faith journey. 
a very real part of our faith journey. And I assume that you've dealt with doubts in your life associated with your faith. Maybe you've worked those out. Maybe you haven't. But you probably have had questions like this. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if I did, I would be willing to bet the honest people in the room would. Probably ask the question, what if this is made up? Or maybe during worship you ask this question, what if it's all just emotion? Or maybe, maybe you ask the question, what if this feeling that I'm having now is not the Holy Spirit, it's the chili I had last night, right? Like, maybe you've asked yourselves those real questions. And if you have, I'm glad you're here today. But why do we doubt? We have to ask the question, why does it happen? Why do we feel ourselves in this place? And I can come up with three Three, you know, it's probably not the entire of it, but this is the majority of it. We have questions, there's situations, and we've got hurts. So there's questions we can't answer. There's just questions we can't answer. There's, I mean, there, we get down to the nitty gritty of it. There's questions we are never going to know the answers to for sure. There's questions that we are never going to know the answer to, and that is okay because if you were meant to know all the answers, you're, you're God us and we're not going to have all the answers for sure and I believe that the book gives us enough of the answers to draw conclusions about our faith and about who Jesus is the second thing is the one a lot of us struggle with and it's situations that seem unfair you've heard it said cheaters never, never prosper right what happens when they do I mean some of you guys have probably known people that have some iffy business deals or iffy business practices I mean, but our politicians, cheaters prosper. So how, how, how do we balance these situations that seem unfair? I mean, we even take into the war in Ukraine. I mean, some of, the, some of these families and some of these kids are, to, are displaced from their homes and their houses because of an invading army. And the kids did nothing for it. And, and it seems unfair that God would sit back and watch as these things happen. And then the last one is a personal one. Hurts that we can't resolve. I prayed for mom and she didn't make it. I, I, I mean, I, I prayed and the cancer came back. I mean, come on, I, I've prayed and these things didn't happen the way that I expected them to happen. There's, there's hurts that can't be resolved in our life. These are three questions that drive our doubts. And here's the issue. Many of us were handed a version of faith as we were a kid. I mean, many of us grew up in church. You were handed a version of faith. I was handed a version of faith. And the problem that we run into is we get that version of faith and they tell you it's all true, everything about it's true, all those other denominations and viewpoints and churches are wrong, and everything that this has in this neat little package is the right answer. And if you question it, you're questioning God. So don't open the package. Don't look what's in there. Okay, don't look what's in there. Just, just believe what's in there and take it and run with it and just know that it's true. And the problem is, is we carry that into adulthood and as we carry it into adulthood, we run into questions we can't answer, situations that seem unfair, and hurts that we can't resolve. And all of a sudden, the faith that we were given as a child or the faith that maybe we grew up with doesn't do what we hoped it would do. And it doesn't bring us the peace that it used to bring us. It doesn't make us as comfortable as it used to. And the key is, is our faith can't become this crazy, rigid thing. 
okay? There, there's three different things associated with faith, and I'm getting down into the weeds, so some of you are going to gloss over, and some of you are going to stay with me, but there's three different things. There's, there's doctrine, okay? That doesn't move. That's written in the blood of Christ. That's Jesus died on the cross. That, that stuff doesn't move. That's non-negotiable, right? The second one is going to be your dogma, right? That's kind of what your church tradition handed you, your denominational tradition handed you, your background handed you, and that's written in pen. So it takes a little longer for that to change, but it can change because it's not doctrine. And if you don't believe me, go back and look at all the denominations over the course of 100 years, and you'll see them change things all the time, okay? So we see things change throughout that are considered to be part of Dogma. And then the last one is discipline, and that's written in pencil. That's easier to change because that's just what we like. That's, that's what we're comfortable with. That's kind of what we feel and how we handle things. So we, we have to back away from this idea that it can't, and our viewpoints on some things can't and change. And if we doubt them, then we're doubting, and, and how dare we be ye of little faith. Case in point, I'll use my example. I grew up in an apostolic brother in church. For those of you that don't know, that is a hyper-charismatic group of people. They are amazing holiness people, okay? And I grew up in a church that was smaller than our youth group. We had about mm, eight to ten uh, that would be on every Sunday, and I was the only kid because my, my great aunt, she, you guys heard me talk about her, her name's Charlotte, she, uh, she was a saint of the faith. They were amazing people. Like they, they were absolutely, truly amazing people and set the foundation for my faith because I may not be here if it wasn't for that group of people. But what they also handed me was views of God that weren't all that helpful. They told me and they, their, their, their viewpoint and their discipline in that church was that if you um, went to sports, like actual sports venues, so if you went to a high school game or you went to a baseball game or you went to an NFL game, that that was wrong because you're placing that above God. And then they also taught us that if you're a lady, you, you can only wear skirt, dresses and skirts, and you can't wear any jewelry. And if you wear too much jewelry or if you wear makeup, you're trying to draw too much attention to yourself, and you're going to cause your brother to stumble. All your brothers need to take care of your own eyes. <laughs> Daggone tired of that excuse. But the, uh, that's, that's the stuff I was handed with my faith. Now, with that came the solid doctrine that Jesus Christ was the risen Lord. That hasn't changed. No questions asked, right? I'm there. I'm good. That's doctrine. I'm, I'm, I'm there. But with that is I had the opportunity to go to another great church in North Carolina. Uh, it was called Discovery Church International, which was, if you think we're contemporary, boy, y'all need to hold on to your britches when you go to that church. Because that's right outside Marine Base Camp Lejeune, and they, I mean, come on, those guys run around explosions all day. You got to do something big to get their attention, okay? I mean, our, our worship leader, and some of you are going to go, that's not a church, Brandon. Well, beg to differ. But they ran around, and they had, she had her own microphone that was bedazzled out. Like it was, it had like rhinestones and stuff on it, and like she had streamers at one point, but was so amazing, I'm not even joking. And they had lights, and it was a big deal, but they were also hitting 20-something, 20, 20 21, 22-year-olds. So they adopted and changed some things that we would look at and go, whoa. 
But to be honest, they were able to reach me and my wife because they were willing to do that. Now, the first service, I was like, I don't know. I feel Coming from Aunt Charlotte's church or that church, I was like, I feel like, I, I, was that sinful? I don't know, Leah. Was that, do I need to repent? I'm not sure. I need more coffee. Um, so, but over time, I began to understand, like, no. And it was a great church. Again, doctrinally sound. Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. Nothing changes. Okay, I'm there. Got it. And, but it gave me the space to unravel some of those things that I was handed as a kid. And then when I come to new life, the same thing. I have the space to unpack and get to the bottom of my faith and what it looks like in this. The uh, pastor and author, Brian Zan, said this. He said, when you don't deal with your doubts and hide them in the closet, they morph and they deform into monstrosities. One of the biggest issues that we face as a church is not the deconstruction movement. Everybody feels like that. Oh, they're deconstructing, they're deconstructing. Well, deconstructing to a point is probably healthy, and you, we probably should do that from time to time. Denominations do it all the time. They just don't call it, they don't call it deconstruction. They just call it a business meeting. They get together every couple of years, and they say, do we still believe this? Because I don't know. Paul wasn't real clear. Do we believe that? I don't know. Well, okay, well, we'll figure that out later. Like, they do it all the time. It happens consistently. And the truth is, is that the deconstruction movement's been fueled because people aren't allowed to question things. They're not allowed to expand their viewpoints on stuff. And it becomes this, you have to handle it this way. And doubts are put into a closet, and before you know it, they deform. And they tear your faith completely apart. Because, listen to me, this is important. Your faith is not a destination. Your faith is a journey. Your faith is a journey, not a destination. You're never going to have perfect faith. It's faith. You have to believe it at some point, and when you believe things, you will eventually doubt those things from time to time, and that's okay. You, your, your faith is a journey. It's a process. You're going to be on this journey your entire life. And you should be okay when these doubts happen because, believe it or not, dealing with your doubts, not hiding them away, but dealing with them, asking the questions, processing them, can actually become a catalyst for a stronger faith. Because when I was a kid, or when I was in Bible college and they gave me the space to ask those questions, and I, I began to understand things, my faith grew so much stronger, so much stronger. Because again, you will never reach perfect faith. And let me talk to the parents in the room for just a second. I've been part of the youth for almost for five years now, and I, I'm consistently answering hard questions. And don't be alarmed, parents, when your kids grow up and they ask the hard question. They're going to ask the hard question. And this is the truth of it. The home and the church should be the safest place to ask those hard questions related to faith. Where else are they going to go? Culture? Google? Like, where else are they going to go? The home and the church has to be the safest place to ask those hard, hard questions because the hard questions are good. Because the strongest faith isn't a faith that never doubts. The strongest faith is a faith that grows in those doubts. And believe it or not, you're not the only, one, you're not the only Jesus follower that had doubts. In fact, we're going to take a look at somebody who followed Jesus behind him all the time. This guy was there the whole process. He doubted 
Jesus. And he struggled with doubts. And believe it or not, you're not the only one that God has used your doubts to grow your faith before. We're going to spend some time talking about Thomas today, the doubting disciple. He is so associated with doubt that we have a phrase called a doubting Thomas because he became famous for one of his situations. Now, it was his lowest moment. I sure hope that I don't become famous for my lowest faith moment, okay? I hope I'm not known as the guy that doubted his faith in Bible college. But that's what happened with our man Tommy. He, he, he doubted, he ran into some things, and here we are. So what we're going to find, you're going to see today, that your doubts don't disqualify your faith. That doesn't mean you can't have faith. It doesn't mean you, can't, you have to walk away from it. It means it's an opportunity to explore it. It's an opportunity to ask the hard questions. It's an opportunity to dig into the Scripture and see what it actually says. It's an opportunity to grow. This is the verse that Thomas became famous for, that he is famous for. We're starting in John chapter 20. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which just means the twin, one of the twelve followed Jesus everywhere, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So when Jesus returned, he showed himself to the disciples, and the disciples were like, oh, it's Jesus. Wow. Okay, so they weren't expecting that. Tommy wasn't there. He, had, he, he, could, didn't call, he didn't call in sick that day. He was busy at work or something, right? So the disciples told him they would do what any good friend would do. They ran to Tommy and they said, hold on, we've seen the Lord. We've seen him. But then Thomas responded, he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And I think Thomas got a bad rap. Because if we're being honest, I'm Thomas. I'm that guy. I'm that guy all the time. And I know many of you are probably that guy too, or that gal too, where you got to see it to believe it, or you got to experience it to believe it. And, I mean, I've even heard some of it, but this has followed Thomas. In fact, I heard a preacher one time uh, talk about Thomas, and he just used Didymus. And then he came up and he said, you know, we're talking about doubting Diddy today. And that was, the, that was how he talked about Thomas. It became who he was. And the only reason that the others believed, they saw Jesus. That's the only difference. And I mean, let's be completely honest. Many of us would be in the same spot. We would be with Thomas. If the situation happened, we would be there with Thomas. We would say, I need to see it. I ain't believing that. That's crazy talk, guys. And in my opinion, Thomas was one of the most dedicated disciples. I do. I think he was. Listen to how he responds when Jesus and the team have just fled the area of Judea. And the religious leaders are trying to kill him, trying to kill Jesus and all his followers, because now Jesus is a problem. He's gaining traction. We've got to stop him, was the religious leader's viewpoint. So Jesus and his crew, they fled. But then Jesus hears about Lazarus. And Lazarus is dying. And then Jesus gets word, and he didn't turn around, and then Jesus gets word that he's dead. And so Jesus is ready to turn around now, go back to the area where people were trying to kill him, and go back to the area, back into the place of danger. And I want you to listen how Thomas responds in this moment. 
So then he told them plainly, this is Jesus. He's clarifying for his disciples because they didn't believe that Lazarus was dead. Jesus said he's fallen asleep, and they're like, well, if he's asleep, he'll just wake up. And Jesus is like, no, let me tell you very plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Questions we can't answer. Hurts we can't resolve. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of his disciples, he didn't just say, hold on, is Jesus really going there? I mean, come on. He didn't gather the disciples and say, hold on, guys. He's crazy. They're trying to kill him. There's no way we can actually do this. Listen to what Thomas says, and I think there's a little hint of sarcasm in it. Let us also go, that we may die with him. That doesn't sound like someone of weak faith. That doesn't sound like someone who's plagued with doubts and is just totally shattered faith. That sounds like someone of great faith. Doesn't really know what's going to happen, but he's ready to go wherever Jesus was going to go. And then later, during the Passover meal, Jesus, he was preparing, he tells them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you in the future. And I'm going to go ahead of you, we're going to work all these things out, but I'm going to prepare a place. And then Thomas raises the question, now keep in mind, this is the Passover. This is before Jesus was going to be crucified the next day. And at the Passover, right before this, he washes his disciples' feet. He draws his attention, he draws their attention to the fact that he is going to be the Messiah. And then he says, I'm going to go forward and prepare a place for you. And then Thomas said to him, now, while everybody else is arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom, because that comes up in this conversation later too, Thomas isn't the one that says that. This is what Thomas says. Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Thomas is asking the question, Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going. I want to follow you, but I don't know how to get there. And Jesus goes on and says, look, you, you can follow me. Him, just trust me because I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And anybody who comes to me to the Father. So he gives him the explanation. But again, Thomas isn't arguing like Peter goes and says, no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Thomas didn't do that. Peter goes and argues with Jesus about being crucified a couple weeks later. Thomas didn't do that. Or a couple weeks before, Thomas didn't do that. Thomas wasn't John and one of the others arguing about who's going to be the greatest. He didn't do that. Thomas sits back and says, Lord, we want to follow you. Show us the way. And Jesus explains the way and explains what has to happen to him. Just because he had a moment of doubt does not mean that he didn't have faith. Just because he had a moment of doubt does not mean he did not have faith. And your doubts, this is important, your doubts do not disqualify your faith. You have the space to doubt. God is big enough for you to doubt things and to grow in that space. Again, a lot of times, a lot of times, a lot of times, it's a catalyst for a bigger faith. Sometimes God's got to break down a barrier to get you to see the whole picture. And sometimes if you lean into it, learn in it, you'll grow in your faith because your doubts don't disqualify 
your faith. So, let's go back and finish the story that we started with, with Thomas. After the resurrection, so the other disciples told Thomas, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. This time Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. Now, I don't know, but I feel like John missed a few verses in there, because I guarantee he scared the bejesus out of everybody. There's no way you go through a locked door and just pop up and say, Peace be with you, and everybody's just cool with that. That doesn't happen. No way. Okay? But John didn't think that was important to write about. So, then he said to Thomas, so Jesus looks at Thomas and he says, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me you have believed. Blessed are those who have not yet, who have not yet seen and yet believe. Jesus looks at Thomas and he says, Stop doubting and believe. And maybe that's how you've heard a lot of these sermons go. Just stop doubting and believe. You gotta have faith, brother. You gotta have faith, sister. I don't know why that sounded like a wrestler from the 1980s. <laughs> I grew up in a trailer park, y'all. Give me some grace, okay? Every so often, okay? Said that, and it was like, whoo, okay. Randy Savage. But he didn't say stop doubting and believe first. He showed up and showed him his hands. He showed him his side. He gave him evidence. When Thomas doubted, he spent an entire week not believing. An entire week going, hey, that ain't true. My friends, they cuckoo, but that ain't true. But here's the amazing part. There had to be some faith there because he showed up. He showed back up eight days later. He showed back up. He was ready to hear. He was ready to see. And some of you are sitting here today, and you showed back up. You had the opportunity to walk away but you showed back up. And maybe you're dealing and struggling with some doubts this morning. And you feel like, I have to take the whole thing, and if I don't take the whole thing, it's all, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. That you believe at first, and then the Holy Spirit works through you and process through different things in your life. The idea that you have to be perfect to be a Christian is not the idea, and we're going to talk about that next week. But notice Notice that Jesus did not say stop doubting and believe until after he gave Thomas the, the evidence he needed. Then he said stop doubting. He didn't show up and say, Tommy, stop doubting. Oh yeah, and here's my hands. No, he showed up, walked in, scared everybody, and then showed them his hands. And he said, look. Put your hands, that Thomas, you needed this kind of evidence? Here's the evidence, Thomas. You, you need evidence, Thomas? Here's the evidence. Go ahead. Go ahead, Tommy. See what it's all about. 
It was after he showed up. And then you know what happened to Thomas, the doubting disciple? He went on to preach Jesus and preach the gospel over the next 50 or 60 years. He goes all the way and around, he, got, he was martyred in 72 AD in India. He took the gospel on another, to another place. And this is the same guy that all of us know is a doubting Thomas. If it wasn't for him, Asia may not have knew about Jesus for another three or four hundred years. He was a catalyst of faith. And he was so confident in his faith because he had a doubt and God used it as an opportunity to grow his faith. And then he's so confident that he gets martyred. He's martyred for the faith because of his experiences and because he had the opportunity in the space to doubt and grow in his doubt. So I'm going to say it again. Your doubts do not disqualify your faith. Your doubts do not disqualify your faith. It's a journey. It's a process, and it takes time. And if you're one of those individuals where you're like, already been through the process, pastor, I'm solid. Awesome. That's great. You should lean in. Because you may, God may be able to use you to minister to somebody who's not in the same place as you. Or maybe your kids are going to hit that place. Or maybe your friends are going to hit that place. Or maybe you're going to hit that place in the future. So this week, I always like to give you guys an action point. This week, I want you to deal with your doubts, not in their entirety. Give yourself the space to ask the question. Put all the extra stuff aside that makes you nervous about asking them and everything else. Just put it all aside and use it as an opportunity to grow your faith and just engage with them. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's in your small group. But give yourself the space to ask the questions that have been bothering you and the questions that you feel like it's not safe to ask. Because I'm going to tell you, here, we're going to ask the hard questions. We're going to go through the hard questions. And if you come to a place where you want, I'll do everything I can. I don't have all the answers, but I'll go on a, I'll go on a big search for them. And then we'll, we may come to a place where we're like, I don't know why he did it that way. Sometimes we're not going to have all the answers because if you do, you're God. But the answers that we need are there. The answers that we need are, are present. The answers that we need are just answers we have to be willing to interact with. Ask the hard questions. And we will discover the answers together as a church. And next week, we're going to discover from another disciple how important it is and how much you have to realize that you don't have to be perfect to be a Christian. And that Christian perfection looks a lot different than what we view it and think it as. So before we get there, there is, some of you have heard this and you're like, I'm so happy that somebody's talking about this because I have been doubting and I want to follow Jesus, but I'm not sure that I can do it. 
So maybe that's you. And if that's you, you have the opportunity to follow Jesus today. We make it very simple. To follow Jesus, we admit that we need His grace provided by His death and resurrection. We admit, Jesus, we need you because there's a bridge or there's a gap between me and my heavenly Father. And yeah, I have doubts, but if I can put you in that gap, then the bridge is there. The doubts don't take away that faith. And then you, we believe that he was who he said he was, and he died on the cross and rose on the third day. And then the next step is we commit our lives to him. That doesn't mean you get it right all the time. That doesn't mean you're going to have all the answers. It simply means that you're going to try. You're going to make an effort. You're going to put the energy to it. Admit that we need him. Believe who he is, who he said he was. Commit our lives to him. Friends, that's the gospel. So, we're going to pray.